0: Hi all. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening from wherever you are listening this podcast. This is Coding Talks and myself Viji. I am a .NET programmer having experience working with different cloud vendors like Microsoft Azure, AWS and Google. I am an AWS community builder as well. Uh, I do podcasting as well as uh, presentations on the YouTube channel. I have a meetup group as well called Coding Talks, Cloud Computing. Feel free to uh, join any of those groups or uh, my podcast as well as my YouTube channel. There will be a lot of episodes that already I conducted and may be beneficial for you. Today we are going to discuss on the different architectural patterns that you can leverage on the cloud. I will be explaining the concepts from the perspective of Amazon Web Services or we call AWS but the same can be applied on other cloud platforms as well. So whenever we want to migrate or develop applications for the cloud, it will be uh, rewarding for you as a developer or architect If you spend some time on analyzing what should be the architecture, how your application will be best fit in the cloud so that it can achieve the best scalability and performance but at the same time your development cost will be within the budget that you demand. Not only the development cost, the cost associated with the cloud infrastructure and other things are also very important. choosing the right infrastructure right architecture in cloud is very important one of the advantages that you would get from adopting a cloud-based architecture is the elasticity and scalability of your applications that you can uh, leverage in cloud you can scale up your application when there will be a user demand and you can scale down as well that will reduce your cost so there should be a balance and cloud services have different managed services which can do these things automatically for you on on the basis of how your application is working so you can take advantage of all these things provided if you develop your cloud architecture in such a way that uh, it can achieve the best scalability and performance. So, so, understanding about these different patterns that I am going to explain in today's episode will be very helpful. These are also documented in the AWS documentation as well. And like I said earlier, even though this will be an AWS focused podcast, the same can be applied to other cloud vendors as well. The, uh, almost all, the, if you look at the different services that are provided by different cloud vendors, There is a common feature that a common pattern that you can see in all of those things, whether that can be a kind of a uh, some some form of services like AI service or some form of container services or can be some form of uh, RTS relational database services or something like that. So there is a common pattern there. So the terms differ, some technology terms differ and the way by which each cloud vendors give you that also will be different. But uh, generally, there will be a common pattern. So, understanding these uh, patterns will be very helpful for you. Even though the documentation list, a lot of patterns there. But if you look at the recent trends, especially among the organizational um, applications and all, enterprise level application, you can see an influx of Uh, serverless as well as containerization concepts on those application so this indicates that these two are very important in when it comes to cloud because both of those can help you to achieve the best scalability and performance and it also helps development as well uh, because the model by which these serverless and containerization application work it can help the development teams to work effectively parallely without uh, interfering other parts of the application and then can deploy that as well so development operations and deployment all goes effectively with the adoption of these kinds of serverless and containerized based application so cloud uh, services are getting more popular and this mode of development is also getting popular so this will be the um, if, if, if you ask any one of the majority of experts in the field of IT, for every new project, they might be considering these two services. Uh, this is as of the recording of this podcast on um, May of 2022. But maybe later, uh, some other technologies may evolve or there may be chance. But as of now, the serverless and containerization are getting very popular and th- these are the trend words nowadays anyway the integration of containers or serverless form of um, architecture depends on other considerations as well like uh, if your application uh, is a bit small uh, small kind of application and not required that much of huge uh, massive scalability or um, elasticity you may not go need to go for an container based or serverless mode of deployment you can go for a simple normal Uh, kind of deployment in those cases so it depends on other factors as well Uh, depends on the client preference uh, how the structure of your application will be like that but if it's an enterprise application then serverless and containerization will be the one that you can consider so it's not mandatory that you should only consider those as well there are other architectures as well Um, but these will be the most common form of uh, deployment models that you can view out there um, so because these two this container and serverless well align with the microservices model of deployment where a monolithic application is splitted into uh, different uh, parts or individual parts which can co-work together so this also allows the developers or teams who actually involved in the project to to focus on one particular part of your application at a time so microservices form of development uh, supports these serverless form and the containerized form of deployment so when when we understood the term serverless and the containerization it's closely associated with the microservices form of architecture so the idea is simple in the old days there would be on single monolithic application where all developers will be working on, on huge uh, code base so the challenge with this kind of approach is like uh, they should choose a single language for the entire development and a single deployment strategy should be chosen Whenever someone is making a change in any part of the application. So uh, by common sense we can understand that if we split that monolithic application into more modular services. Each developer or each team can focus on uh, one service at a particular time. They can choose their own individual uh, language as well. Because there is no need for them to uh, integrate or anything. There will be an integration but they will be mostly communicating through the REST API standard so th- there should not be uh, any need for a direct communication that needs to happen between these services so this individual uh, 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 splitted mono, uh, uh, in modular services can uh, work in parallel um, without depending on each other and that way it can effectively work and communication will be happening through uh, the Rust API. so this allows especially the developers like us to focus on a part of application uh, without cluttering other parts of the application also like I said earlier this form of development allows continuous integration and deployment which is other factor these days Clients prefer they want a feature to come out to deployment as fast as possible So continuous integration and deployment along with the development is a critical uh, thing which we need to consider in modern day application development. Serverless and containers are quite interesting but they come at the challenge of how you model your application. So there might be extra effort required from the part of an architect to identify the boundaries of your application. Uh, they need to split that application and four meta services, uh, and more than that, they need to identify how these services communicate with each other, how the standards will be, like whether it should be uh, communicating through REST API or so, or whatever protocol th- might be there. How um, it also involves. Uh, considering some important critical factors like how each services can scale, how, uh, when uh, when a particular service goes down, how other services work. So lot of other things which needs to consider because our applications need to be high available. Um, so client demands that. So all these factors are important when developing uh, the serverless and container form of uh, application. Um, but microservices is the base of all that so uh, that will be the trending um, uh, architecture that we can see nowadays and most architects prefer these things but there are other architectural patterns as well so we will be starting that in today's episode so there are a lot of architectural patterns out there I I mean uh, uh, the cloud design patterns and not anything related with the older gang of four design patterns. We are not going to discuss anything about those patterns. So feel free to listen this episode. Uh, you won't get bored, bored with other older behavioral strategy and all kind of those uh, traditional patterns which we were learned from back in the older days. So, those have no relation here. These are purely cloud related design patterns. So, this will be interesting for you. So, that is the one which we are going to start in today's episode. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, patterns, cloud patterns out there, and uh, AWS documents a lot of that. This episode is based on uh, some of the documented cloud patterns from Amazon. You can refer also the documentation as well along with this podcast so we will start by understanding about the layered approach or we call in order this the tired uh, approach so there will be an entire application or a n layer application where n denotes the number of layers that you have typically uh, majority of the applications that i saw are mainly two or three layers and not more than that however there will be application more than three layers based on how that architect designs the application layered application is more most popularly uh, known to most of the developers from older days so we'll start with the layered approach then we move into the multi-tenant Uh, software as a service model where one application can be served to multiple customers that is the multi-tenant SaaS model the example is Gmail and other services where each customer can create a Gmail account and use that we will learn about such kind of application also then we also going to understand about the different stateful and the stateless patterns Uh, There is not much importance in these days with the stateful pattern because every user, uh, every client will be preferring a stateless pattern where uh, we can see in websites like Amazon where a customer can use application from any of their devices. So they can start checking out a product from their website or anything. Uh, and they can complete that order from a mobile device so irrespective of the device they can use the application so that is the concept of stateless where uh, nothing state about a user is stored particularly with the server so the user is free to use the application from any of their devices and they can have a seamless experience as well like uh, they can move from they can start uh, the application from one device and they can complete the Uh, purchase or order from another device so that kind of application stateless application is also getting popular these days then we will look also at understanding about the service oriented architecture uh, where we split the monolithic application monolithic application into different components and we also going to understand how each components communicate with each other through. Uh, any of the protocol like the SOAP protocol or the recent uh, popular protocol called the REST service architecture we also plan to discuss some of the architectures like the queue job observer event based circuit breaker and lot of lot of patterns out there but everything uh, we may not able to fit in this episode so we will be moving that to another episode so in this episode we will be planning to discuss about the layered architecture then the multi-tenant architecture as well as the service oriented architecture especially from a cloud perspective so by listening this podcast you will understand how uh, how to develop an application you can choose any of these approaches based on the preference you like and then you can develop your application Uh, The main thing to consider is we have a lot of patterns out there. We should select the best pattern so that we can achieve the best scalability and cost effectiveness when we migrate or develop applications in cloud. That is the goal of these different patterns. We may not able to use all these patterns in our application. We should select the best one according to the Situations, so that is the main criteria that we should uh, consider when developing applications also I would like to mention that we won't be discussing any of the strategies related to uh, database related scalability because we are planning to have a different episode for the same when it comes to database we should consider some of the factors, uh, factors like high availability replication and all So all those things we will be discussing in another episode and also uh, when it comes to developing applications or migrating application to the cloud, there is one important factor called the authentication and authorization. You can't move an existing legacy application that is working in your normal environment to a cloud architecture because in cloud it works in a different way. Authentication and authorization you need to handle in a separate way. So I plan to have I promise to have a episode entirely dedicated to the cloud authentication and authorization uh, in a later episode, probably within a few days and due to time limitation, I may know I won't be able to include those in this episode. So uh, pardon me for that. So other than that we can, Um, uh, we can understand we can start uh, looking into the different patterns now you may be thinking that there are a lot of patterns I just mentioned and for these uh, for normal or beginners these patterns are overwhelming but when comes to pattern we need to select the best ones. We don't need to think about any of the gang of four patterns or anything when developing application. If you are familiar with those patterns, you can consider that. Like the different different other patterns, post patterns and all those things. You can consider that for your application provided if you are familiar. But our episode will be focusing more on the cloud related patterns. So focus focusing on cloud design patterns, even if you are a beginner, there is no mandatory rule like you should be familiar with the uh, gang of four architectural patterns that is listed in the 1994 books. There is no need for that at all. Uh, You can still learn programming. You can still understand the cloud concepts without going through that. Uh, you can start developing an application provided if you have some understanding about the cloud and uh, the, some of the patterns that I going to uh, discuss here. So let's start with the layered architecture. Like I said, layered architecture is was existing from uh, so long and it's quite old. So the basic idea is in layered architecture, an application is broken down into different layers. So, some developers prefer to call this as called a tired application where an architect at the time of designing this application splits an application into different tires or layers based on a boundary and that design of boundary is based on a goal to develop the application in such a way that each layer can be independently controlled. So that is the goal. So before this cloud era, uh, many were developing application with the layered approach. So then the goal was to individually control each layers. Like if they want to uh, modify something in a particular layer, they can modify without affecting the other layer. So majority of the developers concerned was the modification part. But when uh, at a later point of time, when the cloud era becomes more popular, the goal is not just for uh, modification or modularizing the these individual layers, but the the most focus is on scalable uh, scalability part of that particular layer. So, whether it's scalability or modification layered architecture, allows a developer to individually control each part of the application. So we can call this as a kind of a microservice architecture parent architecture Uh, so there is no formally definition like that but still we can uh, understand that okay um, uh, it's from this layered kind of approach it evolved the microservices architecture because if you look at microservices architecture it's more closely uh, related to these services and this layered architecture in microservices we split more modular in terms of its functionality very smaller modular components however in layered architecture we we split based on a kind of a layer so there will be a presentation layer which deals with the presentation aspect of the website and beneath that there will be a business application layer or under that a database layer so many many of the traditional application that we are we saw are actually this kind of this kind of um, architecture. So if you look at any of the traditional web application might be there a three layer architecture or something like that. And if you look at a visual studio application majority of the application will be having three projects where there will be a presentation layer then a uh, database layer or a business uh, uh, then there will be a business layer or an application layer and beneath that there will be a database layer which involves the data related parts. So separate layers will be there. Some architects prefer to have more layers as well. Uh, so there will be a boundary between each layer where how it communicates with the other layer is only through some form of mapping. Like uh, some prefer to use some mechanisms like auto mapper and all. But one thing that I noticed on those kinds of layered architecture is that even though they were splitting these into three different separate layers, still many times I seen they were deployed into a single server. So the only advantage that we are getting for those kinds of deployment model is the level of uh, um level of freedom in customizing the different part of application especially for the developers they can work on individual parts of the application more effectively but it doesn't provide any scalability benefit if you deploy that kind of three-layer uh, a dotnet solution into a single server or a, a single instance of database because uh, the when it comes to cloud nowadays when it comes to cloud Uh, The main consideration is scalability of individual layers so for that to work out you need to deploy each of these three layers into three distinct uh, set of services which are isolated from each other. So that must be the goal when it comes to a cloud architecture how a layered application should behave. So, even though the layered application approach that we saw in the earlier days that were deployed on a single server, uh, which doesn't offer any of the scalability uh, benefits at all, but that same layered approach if you can modify a bit and adapt to the cloud, it can be considered for the cloud as well. But you should not create in a similar fashion like the older architects do. like. Uh, create a single project and then uh, have three distinct projects each other and then deploy that into a single server so instead of that uh, you should deploy each layer like uh, the presentation layer in a separate set of instances ec to amazon EC2 instances and the application layer in another set of instances and of course for the third layer that is the database layer uh, we can use another set of service so definitely this kind of uh, deployment model which I explained now for the layered architecture architecture definitely adds cost but the real benefit that you as a developer or you as a client getting is you can individually control each part of the application you can have individual uh, scalability for each part you can have individual logs for each part so the operations team can understand when where a particular problem happens and in which layer and if your application demands if your application demands heavy processing or something you can just scale that individual layer as well and coming to the database layer uh, you can also take advantage of different managed services from the cloud like the Amazon RDS services or uh, the AWS specific uh, aws aurora scalable database so this way a granular level of scalability uh, and elasticity can be achieved within the three layered architecture so we uh, we are now understanding the entire architecture that were familiar for many developers it's a, it's a basic architecture that every dotnet developer or any Uh, any uh, language developers learn when they develop a web application so if you adapt that application to a bit higher level uh, so you can imagine like you can separate that layers but that layers should be distinctive uh, should be communicated through some mechanisms like the REST API or something. So it would be more like a, not like a layered architecture. It will be more like a kind of a microservices architecture, but not exactly microservices as well, but similar to that. Um, and you can have, when you split these, these different layers, you can have individual sets of instances. Imagine if you have a um, enterprise websites, where it's have the presentation layer then the database layer and then the middle application layer business layer so you can have different EC2 instances. a set of three EC2 instances maybe for the presentation layer and another set of six EC2 instances for your application uh, level uh, layer because that demands heavy processing and a single uh, database layer for a um, single scalable database like Amazon Aurora, which scales automatically for the um, database layer as well. So this way, uh, the layered architecture that you are aware of can be adapted with the cloud, so that it will work effectively. So that is uh, the way by which you can uh, adopt your applic- uh, adopt your existing layered architecture to cloud. And once you develop such a Layered kind of application, it went to production and it becomes. Imagine it gets a massive hit. Lot of people started to u- using that kind of application, and when the demand of the application becomes so high, uh, if if that is there in the cloud, uh, cloud offers possibilities for scalability, uh, scaling the application automatically, like um uh, because you have splitted each layer into three distinctive set let's for understanding purpose let's imagine it's three distinctive layers so the application layer will be having an initial set of like uh, six uh, ec2 instances which are enough for your normal running of your website but imagine a day where a sales goes high uh, or your product gets uh, um, huge hit and then a lot of people starts using your application then there occurs a need for increasing your Application layer instances from 6 to maybe 8 or 12 or something like that so if your application is in cloud cloud offers the possibility for having uh, the elastic load balancer in front of the uh, EC2 instances where you can configure the elastic load balancer in such a way that based on the level of users or the level of CPU that your application is consuming that based on that you can automatically increase your underlying uh, EC2 instances so whenever your uh, users are getting that much high Uh, it will uh, elastic load balancer behind the scene will spin automatically those kind of uh, EC2 instances Uh, not uh, uh, sorry there is a correction here it's not even though the elastic load balancer is in front of the EC2 instances still uh, it's the EC2 instances managed services capability that helps it to scale based on the level of uh, usage it has so this uh, elastic load balancer sits in front of the EC2 instances so its role is to um, uh, its role is to provide a means to um, uh, get the customer calls or the client calls into the each distinctive EC2 instances Uh, so it can it can reroute the request from different clients to these different Uh, EC2 instances based on the uh, level of request it's getting but behind the scene this EC2 instances services like EC2 instances in AWS have the capability to scale up and down based on the level of the usage so you can take advantage of all these things and it provides Uh, 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 you for an option to not have an infrastructure in advance and you need to pay only when you actually require it so that's the benefit of using cloud services just like we use electricity we need to pay only when we use that much of level of electricity Uh, when our consumption goes high we need to pay more so that same concept is there in the cloud as well so you can uh, have a combination of EC2 instances elastic uh, load balancer in front of that and also some configurations that define how uh, you, are, you you want to achieve the scalability so that can be different considerations like either it can be based on the level of load or level of the cpu usage or something like that so that all can you can um, you can check out in the Uh, AWS EC2 configuration section where you can define the scalability there are other factors also you can define not just these things so this scalability is one important factor so that is why I mentioned here similar way when you want to achieve some kind of form of a database scalability so at the database scalable level uh, if you are using a managed services like amazon rds or something like that then it provides options to have scalable when it when it comes to the uh, database level as well so we will be having a separate uh, episode on the database level at a later point of time so you understand how an n layer or entire application layer works Uh, so basically it will be having two or three layers and you can have more than that but keep in mind that as you increase the level of layers uh, when it comes to cloud you you have you need to pay more for each of those associated instances for these different layers so uh, you don't need to have unnecessary layers Uh, so unless uh, uh, it's not required to have more than three layers you can keep that within the three and that will be fine for your most of the application demands in specific edge cases there might require some more uh, layers than that but that depends on the uh, on the architect how they design the application so now from uh, the point of view of the end the layered architecture itself uh, caching can also be applied so all the concepts that you are learning now based on the example of uh, aws and this entire architecture you can apply to other form of application as well provided if there is a requirement whether you are using a microservices application we will be learning about microservices in the next episode so you can apply caching or these any of the things which you learned here or at, at that part as well so same applies there but uh, we are understanding uh, now initially in this episode through the uh, layered architecture way so the second thing is caching. So caching is also required when your application evolves, especially to improve its performance. The goal of introducing caching in your application is to try to hit the backend as low as possible. So you can write custom code to cache your application, but uh, this is the era of cloud where you can have a lot of uh, managed cache services from cloud, like the Elastic cache where you can use that uh, service and you need to pay only for how much you are using. Similar way, if you are um, using a kind of a website where it's using any kind of a client-side JavaScript framework like React or Angular and you if you are hosting your um, presentation layer on the S3 you could take advantage of the Amazon CloudFront as well. So CloudFront is a distribution service from Amazon that can be used to connect to, to your ex- existing S3 bucket. So the, without Amazon CloudFront, the thing happens is like if your customer is accessing your website, React application or Angular application that is hosted in S3. S3 is a storage service. It can, it can host the website as well. So if you are serving a a website page from S3 and if one of your client is accessing that uh, website from a far away distance like USA or something, that needs to uh, that takes a little bit of time not that much time still it stay needs to be served from your existing backend which may be locating at some other place so aws has the concept of region so you can when when you select a um, particular service you can associate a region which is closer to your client but if some other client from if, if or if that same client is using that application from some other global location then uh, it should be served from your region, uh, which which will be uh, having a little bit delay. So, to avoid the delay uh, and to provide caching, Amazon provides a service called the Amazon CloudFront, which sits in front of the S3 bucket. So, it can serve the uh, content from S3 bucket and it can cache the content in the uh, CloudFront front edge, edge location which are globally distributed across the globe so if someone is accessing something from some other global region so the initial time when it hits it will be served from the s3 and the second time uh, the customer is accessing that it will be served from the cached edge location which is part of the amazon cloud front So, it will will be having a cost associated with that, but for the enterprise applications, this will be fine. This uh, services like the CloudFront has uh, the cache control headers, where uh, as an application developer, you can determine how frequently it needs to check the origin for an updated version of the file. Uh, We have understood uh, how we can um, use cache to improve your application. Uh, This cache can be applied for any type of architecture, not just for this layered application. Similar way, you can upscale your layered architecture to support multiple devices. uh, And you can make it a stateless uh, like the Amazon website. On example I would like to mention is the Amazon shopping website where you begin shopping from your laptop and later uh, you can complete the checkout from a different device like mobile. Uh, So the main magic happening here is the user session is not uh, tied to the server instances. Usually in normal web application if you uh, you are logged into that application and if you are checking out a uh, product or something and immediately if you logged out or if, if you close the browser, you need to log in again and continue and you, you have to start from where you, um, you, uh, uh start from the selection of the product itself and then you need to entirely uh, check out You need to do it at a single instance just like in the old days when you apply for some application or something you need to fill from the start to end and in between if something happens you need to start it again. So that is not a good uh, user experience. So the uh, current user experience, which many of the shopping site prefer is you can have, you can have the uh, product, you can select it. And e- even if you have logged out, then at a later point of time, when you uh, log into that website, you can see that you have already checked out that uh, product and you can uh, continue from where you actually stopped. So that will be a better approach. So for that to happen, you need to make your application stateless. So how it is achieving is like it's storing the user sessions on a um, database service from the Amazon like the Amazon DynamoDB. Uh, It's not just for Amazon DynamoDB. You can have other approach as well, other cloud vendors as well but here we are understanding through the Amazon DynamoDB so user sessions are stored in a kind of a NoSQL way in Amazon DynamoDB and all the transactions that are related to the uh, that Amazon shopping website will be uh, hopefully stored in a something like a, a, a no NoSQL uh, DB uh, because SQL DB will be better um, optimized for the uh, transactions and for user sessions a NoSQL will be more effective this allows the, uh, this kind of approach allows uh, storing the user sessions in an NoSQL db uh, rather than in the server sessions allows the user to use an application from multiple devices uh, even if they want to continue at a later point of time so that will be uh, an effective approach and for the caching purpose also uh, there are services from amazon like the amazon elastic cache where it is a fully managed in memory caching service uh, it supports flexible real-time use cases. Uh, so you can use the Elastic Cache, which which supports both the Redis and the Memcache as well. So these are two different flavors or different kinds of uh, engines that are running behind the Elastic Cache. So Elastic Cache is a kind of a multi-model where it has two combinations like the Redis and the Memcache. So you can choose based on your preference. The one which you want to choose for your application depends upon the purpose it wants to serve. So, there is a documentation provided by Amazon where you can refer which one is best suitable for. Most of the cases Redis will be the one that majority of developers choose for the web application. It's kind of a premium level and then you can uh, use that to um, uh, uh, store the um, uh, um, cache that are associated with the Uh, with the uh, um, your application and another thing I want to specifically mention when it comes to the stateful and stateless is we understood that stateless uh, applications will be much uh, offers much more better user experiences but some of our existing applications may be stateful and we may not have the uh, liberty to fully Um, convert that to a stateless application or something because of the organizational constraints or other uh, time limitations. So in that case, if you want a stateful application to move to cloud, uh, there is a provision by which you can still move that to cloud and can host it on an EC2 instances. Uh, But you can have a load balancer in front of that. Uh, The only thing you need to do is you need to enable the load balancer with a sticky session this enabling load balancer with a sticky session is not recommended because if you want to scale your application beyond a point uh, it it's not possible with if you enable the sticky sessions there so that is just an approach but it's not recommended or a good approach the ideal approach is to have the default load balancers uh, round robin distribution fashion so round robin distribution fashion uh, so, that is provided with most of the uh, managed services like the Amazon Elastic Load Balancer. Um, so, it can, uh, it can automatically distribute the um, request from different clients to different different instances on a round robin fashion and not based on a sticky session. So, that means that if, a, if you develop an application with a stateless architecture, Uh, Behind the scene, behind the uh, elastic load balancer, there would be a lot of EC2 instances sitting there. And maybe uh, initially when the the user logs in and check out a product, it will be served from one EC2 instance. And the next uh, click may be served from another instance. Because in the case of stateless architecture, the user session is not stored to a particular client. So that means that uh, particular uh, server. So that means... Uh, the uh, the application can serve different users even though they disconnect from the application or even though they check in from an another device. There is no uh, tied up with the server there. So, that will be a good approach that you should consider when moving your applications to a cloud. So, if you are uh, moving an existing application, if you have the um, provision to migrate that to a stateless application, that will be a much better approach so we have understood some of the concepts that are related to the uh, layered architecture uh, and we understand how we can move that architecture to cloud we also understand like uh, how a stateless approach in an layered up ap- architecture can better a- a enhance the experience of the application and also we understood how the performance can be improved using either of the managed service from the Amazon Cloud or by using other approaches that you uh, you you can have. So these are different ways by which you can improve your um, um Uh, improve your uh, layered architecture so we have understood the layered architecture after understanding about the layered architecture uh, we understood basically the layered architecture from the perspective of a single tenancy architecture where it serves only a single client Next we are going to understand about the multi-tenant or a software as a service model kind of application. Some organization prefer to develop this kind of application as well like the SaaS application we call in short. It's basically a multi-tenant application Uh, We usually develop an application for a single client with uh, specifically focusing on that single client and customize the application based on a single client. But there is another kind of application architecture where you can develop an architecture uh, and it can be served for multiple clients as well. But... A few things needs to be considered when developing this kind of application like how you want to have the data level isolation to be. Data is critical for each client. So, some of the clients require some form of compliance where they need a dedicated isolated database which uh, is not to be shared with any other clients. So, they have a compliance requirement like that. So, if you are providing a SaaS application and if you are Providing that to a client, if they opt for a compliance requirement, then usually you can have different kinds of compliance model you can apply. So, that is called the isolation. So, isolation is a critical factor when it comes to the um, multi-tenant SaaS based application. There can be have a database level isolation which is the highest form of isolation which you can have for a multi-tenant application where each client will be having their own database. That means that if a new customer is approaching the uh, SaaS application and opted for the SaaS application, they will be getting a new kind of database. Maybe that will be an automated process which it creates automatically a server. These uh, days in cloud era, it is easily possible with some form of automation behind the scene. And it also we can have a manual approach like some operation person who is involved in creating database can manually create a database and can point the existing SaaS application to that database. So the real working happens is when the user, that particular client logs into your application the application will be pointed to that particular database. Because they want an isolation, they have a compliance requirement, like uh, some audit requirements in uh, their organization, where they need to have the compliance rule that they should have their data, which need, which should, didn't be shared with any of the other customers. So, if they have such kind of compliance, then they sh- can, they should have some form of isolation. So this database level isolation in a multi-tenant application is the highest form. And if you develop such an application, uh, you need to write your application in such a way that each customer would be pointing to a different database. So the second thing is like a table level isolation. This is a bit lower than that of uh, database level isolation where uh, you don't need to provide a different database for each customer but you need to isolate their data based on a table. So each uh, customer may be having their own table with some prefix or something like that and uh, the application will be interacting with uh, those particular uh, table accordingly based on the a client login and everything similar way there can be a row level isolation as well and this is the easiest form where you can have a uh, primary key or something associated with each customer primary key or uh, it may not be primary key it might be some column where you can identify that customer but Uh, In this case of raw level isolation, there won't be any separate table or separate database for each customer. There will be only a single uh, database, a single table, uh, a single level of table, not ideally single table, a single level of table where all customers' data will be stored in respective single tables which, uh, which is isolated based on the raw level column or something. So these are the approach. So the level of choice of isolation a customer wants depends on the complaints level and how much users they have. Another important thing that as an application developer you should consider for the SaaS level uh, kind of multi-tenant application is that uh, there should be a good level of assessment that you need to evaluate before developing this kind of application because uh, here you are creating a single application and serving it to multiple customers with some form of customization with related to the row level or uh, database level or table level isolation. But if the if a customer wants to have a higher level of customization capability uh, then it will be difficult for a SaaS application to evolve beyond a certain customization. So, there is a limit on how much you can customize a SaaS application for individual clients. So, that factor you need to consider when developing applications for uh, clients if it's a multi-tenant application. Then the other approach which I would like to m- mention. So, we have understood the layered architecture, then the uh, SaaS-based, software-as-a-service-based a multi-tenant application. One example that you can imagine in this context is that most of the email applications are kind of a SaaS based application. Uh, Similarly, the SharePoint application where each organization have on behalf of them, Microsoft uh, developed that as a kind of a SaaS based application where each customer would get their own part of the application isolated from each other. So that is another form of SaaS application. This Gmail uh, or email services are another form of SaaS application. Similar way, a lot of SaaS applications are there like the Spotify uh, streaming platform where you would have an account and you would have your own set of playlists and everything uh, customized for reverse. Uh, we are not sure how they are handling the data and how they are customizing the data. We are not sure whether they have a separate database. Ideally, won't have a separate database. Maybe they are storing the data in a uh, um, kind of a, a set of a table. Uh, but there will be some form of isolation there where one data of one particular is not shared with another. Uh, most of the case that in the case of Spotify the data will be streamed but uh, there are some level of preferences that should be there which which are customized on behalf of the user. So that level isolation will be there. Similarly for the Gmail we can have individual accounts. Its own uh, set of features, its own set of uh, folders and everything and will be customized and customized for each of the uh, different users. So, uh, we understood about layered architecture and the um, uh, multi-tenant SaaS based architecture. Next, we are going to discuss about the service oriented architecture. So, this is a kind of a, uh, we can think about, it's not a formal uh, definition or something like that but we can think it's service oriented architecture as a kind of an architecture that lets to the microservices architecture so this is just my personal thinking there are difference when we consider service oriented architecture with microservice architecture for sure but the evolvement we can think of uh, like uh, it can be have from the layered architecture to service oriented architecture or something like that and more recently Uh, more modular form of uh, uh, splitting like the microservices architecture is getting more and more popular. So next we will be understanding about the service oriented architecture. Service oriented architecture is like similar to the layered architecture but there is a difference. Here the difference is like we split the monolithic applications into different components and each component interacts with each other through a protocol like the SOAP protocol or the Rust API. Um, each component in a uh, service-based architecture provides end-to-end functionality. Uh, each component stands in of its own. It, each component works independently and parallelly and communicate with each other through a communication standard or protocol like the SOAP or Rust API. So this form of uh, splitting of components into multiple, splitting of monolithic applications into multiple components allows uh, parallelization of development activities, operational activities and deployment activities. Each team can work independently because it's based on each different components. So, there are different components and we understood like each component needs to communicate with each other. So, for that purpose, a messaging protocol is required. Initial days, SOAP passed the messaging protocol which is used for communicating or exchanging information from one service to other in a service-oriented architecture. SOAP uses standard XML where data is transferred through a SOAP envelope format which has two parts the SOAP header and message body we are not going too much detail into the SOAP protocol in this episode but understanding a bit about uh, SOAP will be helpful Uh, that's my personal perspective because uh, usually we encounter some of the legacy applications that were developed using the SOAP protocol Uh, we not going too much detail but the main two important parts in SOAP um, um, protocol are header and message. Header provides information on how a SOAP recipient or a client should authorize and process the information uh, and the message body contains the actual information which is in the XML language. SOAP commonly uses HTTP, HTTP protocol but other protocols can also be used along with it. So, there are some advantages with SOAP in terms of its predefined rules with its standard protocol and everything. But nowadays, developers are more opting towards the REST API. Uh, REST API is generally lightweight, stateless. It offers cache support and it offers a variety of messaging formats like the uh, JSON, HTML, CSV, YAML, And also the XML as well. If you look at the SOAP protocol, you can understand that it only supports XML and also it's a stateful service. But the REST API is a kind of a stateless service. So nowadays the stateless service has its advantages in terms of its uh, user uh, enhancement and everything. So um, 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 when it comes to web, web applications, so... Uh, Rust is what majority of developers choose these days other than the SOAP. In in the Rust API, uh, the approach is similar like the components in a service-oriented architecture or even Rust can be used with microservices as well where uh, there, uh, these different components or services can be interact with each other through a uniform resource identifier that is a link. It's kind of a new URL where it uses the standard http and https protocol as well and can perform some of the operations like get put delete and post so if uh, if a component wants to get data from some other component whether it's a service oriented architecture or a microservices architecture it can use the get similar way if you they want to put or update something uh, they can use the put and post as well similarly if one component wants to delete something or a direct user wants to get something de- uh, f- uh, u- direct user wants to delete something from the uh, uh, application they can use the rest api with the delete uh, operation so rest api is more uh, popular getting these days because of its stateless design as well as its lightweight. And it's very easy to understand as well. And when it comes to using Rust API, uh, some of the uh, some of the um, libraries that you can also you can um, use with your application like the swagger which will h- help you to understand what each rest api is doing so associating that apis with your api project and all if it is a dotnet application will be definitely helpful because otherwise uh, unless there is a documentation in place uh, with related to the rest api on how it can be used and how it can be used the new services or the new clients or new users will feel challenged on how to use that rest api either they need to look on the code or need to consult with someone to understand how a particular rest api in a component works so an effective documentation when we develop the rest api is also very important when it comes to developing application Uh, with uh, in the absence of documentation Um, the problem happens there is you need to check with some other person and then you need to understand how it will be working and then you need to uh, or either you need to manually go through the code and understand that. So, to avoid all those dependencies, it will be good to integrate the swagger if it is in the case of a .NET application or other way uh, or the other way which you can do is like you can uh, you can prepare a documentation uh, there are various tools available from the rest api and you can provide a documentation which can be uh, shared uh, from a common location which can be referred by the developer whenever they are using the rest api or the um, or uh, associated components so this way uh, better development strategies can be developed So these are the things which we understood in this episode. This episode is getting a bit lengthier. It's more than one hour. So we we are planning to wind up this episode soon. And then we will be having another episode which focuses on the rest of the cloud design patterns which help you to understand how to develop your application so understanding this layered architecture is also critical because through this episode you learned a lot about the different uh, concept cloud concepts which are fundamental in developing cloud application and based on this episode we will be covering the other episode which provides more detailed on the different architectures that are more specific to cloud and more specific to serverless and the container based application hopefully i plan to cover all that in one episode the next episode if uh, it was not possible then might be another episode will be there and also like i said earlier there will be a specific uh, specific episode which focuses on database as well as the uh, authentication and authorization mechanisms that we used in the cloud that will also be helpful for you to understand with that i wind up this episode Thank you everyone for listening this podcast. Have a great day ahead.